I hope you're still in Mark chapter 4. We're going to continue our series as we're going through the gospel of Mark. And we're going to close out, well not close out, we're going to continue in some of the parables that we see uh, here in chapter 4. We noted uh, last week that Jesus speaks a trilogy of parables involving seeds. The most famous of which is the parable of course, which would more accurately be called the parable of the four soils. And here this morning we have the parable of two different types of seeds that he talks about. And we're going to get to those in a moment. But as we have been going through this study, I hope you've been able to see that from the very outset of Jesus' ministry, from the very first time he comes onto the scene, he has been preaching, it says in chapter 1, in fact, in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 1, that he preaches the gospel of the kingdom. Chapter 1, verse 14 says, Now after that was John was put into prison, Jesus came into the Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. This is how he's forming his ministry of teaching, that here is coming the kingdom of God. He's asserting himself as the Messiah, and he is the one who is going to usher in God's heavenly kingdom. Of course, uh, the book of Matthew deals mostly with this. It has many parables about the kingdom. But I think what we see in Mark, as we've been noticing so far, is just Jesus' sort of penchant and preference to sort of upset all the prevailing notions of how that kingdom was going to come about and what it meant to be the Messiah. Imagine being a disciple here in this moment. Imagine being one of Jesus' inner circle disciples as they are seeing Jesus teach, hearing Jesus talk about the kingdom and the coming of that kingdom. And they're knowing that he is claiming to be the Messiah, although he's not doing very Messiah-y things. (laughs) He's hanging out with criminals and sinners and outcasts. And he's healing and touching unclean people. He's not positioning himself politically or socially. He's not taking advantage of the crowds. And he's not leading some sort of insurrectionist rebellion or anything of the sort. He's upsetting all of their fabled notions of what this Messiah would do and be. And I think we have to sympathize with these disciples. (laughs) They've grown up hearing all the ancient stories of old of this Messiah whom they assumed would come on some valiant uh, stallion and come and reclaim the throne. And here he is talking about seeds. It must have been confusing. It must have been confusing for these followers of Jesus at the very outset. They're not a part of what they thought that they would be a part of. (laughs) I think that's the case for all of us in the kingdom of God. Many times life in God's kingdom can be confusing. It can be unsettling. We can be hard pressed to find anything in this world that can give us a sense of goodness or hope. The headlines around the, the news would, would, would make us think that God's kingdom isn't growing or expanding. That it might actually be uh, uh, the opposite. It might be shrinking. 
It might feel that way. It can be confusing times. But I think the other penchant of Jesus as we see throughout the Gospels. And especially here. Is that he speaks into our confusion. To minister faith to us. And I think that's exactly what he does here. In this parable, starting in verse 26 through verse 34, the second and the third in the trilogy of parables about the seeds, I think we have two very striking parables or lessons about this kingdom. And about how it is, yes, as we've been talking about, the unexpected kingdom. Look at verse 26 through 29, and we have our first lesson. It's a lesson about the unknown origins of fruit. A lesson about the unknown origins of fruit. Look at what he says in verse 26. And he said, so is the kingdom of God. As if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. For the ear, earth, uh, excuse me, for the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself. First the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. Now this parable, this story is actually unique to Mark's gospel. It's not recorded in any of the others. And I think this parable is supplied to sort of uh, suffice all of the disciples' inquiries about this kingdom, about Jesus', their teacher's mission. It's a simple enough parable. Only a couple of verses. And Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom is like. The kingdom of God. This is what it's like. A sower sows. He goes about his agricultural duty, so to speak. He's sowing seed as is normal. It would have been a very thing that they could resonate with very easily. He sows the seed. And I love how in verse 7, and then he goes to sleep. And then he rises the next day. He goes about his life. He goes about his daily routine as a sower, as a farmer. And what happens? The seed grows. The seed, it says, springs and grows up. He knoweth not how. It flourishes apart from any of his own doing. From any of his own involvement, the seed grows and bears fruit, brings forth a harvest. A very simple parable. He says that's what the kingdom of God is like. It doesn't need your involvement. It doesn't need your constant tending. (laughs) It's going to take care of itself. It's going to bring forth an abundant harvest in and of itself. And I think the lesson for the disciples and for us is the same. Know your place. Know your duty. Know your place. This farmer was about his work. It says night and day. And the seed grew. It bringeth forth fruit of herself it says. He was not busying himself with attempts to manipulate its growth to sort of control or sort of try to uh, control the process by which the seed would grow. He was faithful to his role. Jesus is saying when that idea that he's sleeping and rising night and day, he's faithful to his part in this uh, event, which is just to sow seed. That's his duty. That's the role that he was given. And we here are the farmer. We here are this one who is sowing the seed and trusting God for the outcomes. 
He's flipping what we saw in the first parable in which the sower was God himself and the seed was Jesus himself. Here the soil, I believe, represents the Father's work in the world. And he's saying, you go about your duty. You go about the mission that God has given you and trust God for the outcomes. Trust Him alone to bring forth the harvest. The fruitfulness, the growth of God's kingdom, I think very evidently here in this parable, is unknown to us. Again, just looking at the headline news, it might make us think that God's kingdom isn't growing or expanding, that it might actually be shrinking, that the the enemy is winning. But even here, we can have that abundant promise that this, this growth, this harvest, it comes about unknown to us. It's beyond our ability to control. The coming of God's kingdom is outside of your need for anxiety or worry. We cannot control the process of it coming. We just are given the promise that it is coming. Our role is to be faithful right here and now. We cannot manipulate or manufacture the coming of God's kingdom. more Any more than this sower could manipulate or manufacture a more abundant harvest. Or any harvest at all for that matter. We can't slow down this process. We can't even speed it up. God's mission is in God's hands alone. He is the one who is going to bring about his kingdom. I think often we want this coming of God's kingdom, God's reign on the earth to be some sort of event. Something that we can see and and look to. Here it is, it's happening. This is the coming of God's kingdom. That such and such person did this in this nation. And that means that this fulfillment is about to be fulfilled. But the coming of God's kingdom, I think, as we see here, is not an event. It's a process. It's a process that happens throughout our lifetimes. And it's something here that we are made to see. It happens slowly and methodically and gradually. Just as a sprouting seed. Apart from your involvement. We, if we were trying to manipulate its growth and we were just looking at the seed it, and we don't see anything happening, we might be tempted to dig it up. What's wrong with it? It's not happening as we think it should be. In fact, one Dutch reformer, he said this, The good seed cannot flourish when it is repeatedly dug up for the purpose of examining its growth. <laughs> you have to let it be. You have to let the seed be and do its work accordingly. Constant digging it up is actually reversing the process. You're defeating the point of planting and sowing the seed. And I think very similarly here, Jesus is saying, go about your place, your duty, your role. Just as the farmers here in this parable, his role, his duty was to plant, notwithstanding the fruit that he saw. Day after day, perhaps, he didn't see any results, but he was to sow regardless. He was to go about his role regardless of the results that he saw. 
Martin Luther has this apocryphal quote in that it may not really be something he said. But if you look for this quote online, almost every single time you'll see it cited as something Martin Luther wrote or said. So I don't really know who said it, but it sounds good. According to the internet, Martin Luther said this. If I knew that tomorrow was the end of the world, I would plant an apple tree today. That sounds odd. But what he's saying there, even if I knew what was happening tomorrow, that wouldn't make me go off the deep end and try all these crazy things. I would go about my duty. I would be faithful to what was before me, what was in front of me. I would be faithful to the role that I was given as a farmer, as a worker, as one who is given responsibilities and things to do. I would be about those responsibilities and things to do even if I knew the world was ending tomorrow. Such is what I think God is saying to us. Be about your duty regardless of, what, of, of whether you see results or not. One of, uh, one of the most encouraging things to me was said by a pastor many years ago. And he said this, that you might be planting the seeds of trees of which you will never get to enjoy the fruit of or shade. But that doesn't negate the fact that you still plant those seeds. That you still go about your duty sowing that seed. That you still don't, uh, you, you don't negate uh, or, or stop spreading the gospel just because you don't see someone uh, coming to faith in that gospel. You plant. You sow the seeds of the kingdom, the coming kingdom of God, whether you see an event happening or not. You be about your work. You be faithful To what God has given you. The point is not that we stop toiling because it doesn't matter. We stop sowing because we don't see any growth. We toil because that is what honors God. Just like this farmer here. I love the fact that he puts the coming of the harvest outside the farmer's control. It just happens. The seed is sufficient in and of itself, it says, before the earth, verse 28, bringeth forth fruit of herself. First the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. It's sufficient in and of itself. And I think the same thing is what he's talking about with the kingdom. You guys, he's saying to these disciples, you have no ability to usher in this kingdom. You can't make it come about any ways that you, ha- that, you, that you think that you can. You have no capability to produce this kingdom in this world. does not mean that we do not struggle for it or strive after it. It just means that we trust God for the results of it, for the coming of it, for the foundation of it. The coming of the kingdom was on his shoulders, on his sovereign back. That's our hope and our joy and our rest as a sower here, as those who are disciples of the the sower himself, of God himself. We rest knowing of how foolish it would be if we were in control. We trust. We trust in his sovereignty. 
Knowing that he is sufficient in and of himself. That he, it is his prerogative and priority to bring forth this harvest. To bring about this kingdom. He is, God is completely sovereign over the success of his kingdom. And his timing. In his will, in his ways, in, in ways that are above ours, beyond ours, in, in a will that is not ours, in a time frame that is not ours, he will bring it about. Why? Because he is sovereign over all of the ends and details of it. The sufficiency is with him. The su- sovereignty is the Lord's alone. He brings about his kingdom purposes by coming and bringing them about himself. We are to be faithful right where we are. As we were saying in Sunday school this morning, not fretting or worrying about things we cannot change or cannot control. Nor were we made to change and control. Our role, like this sower... Is to go about the role which he has been given. And the fruit comes about unknown to him. He does not know how. <laughs> but the fruit comes forth. And immediately he says in verse 29. He putteth the, in the sickle because the harvest is come. The harvest comes. And he still goes about his role. But let's go to the second lesson in the text. Verse 30. Through verse 34 we have... First, we had a lesson about the unknown origins of fruit. But look here, a lesson about the unexpected outcome of faith. Look what he says. And he said, whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up. And becometh greater than all herbs and shooteth out great branches. So that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. Another short parable. A short parable with an abundance of meaning. It's a parable that appears in both this gospel of course. But also in both Matthew and Luke as well. And it's a short parable with a very simple but profound message. He compares the coming, the glorious, majestic kingdom of God to a mustard seed. To a mustard seed. He says it's the less than all the seeds that be in the earth. It's the smallest of seeds. And I actually did, yes, some research on that. (laughs) The typical diameter of a mustard seed is one to two millimeters. Which is 0.039 to 0.079 inches. It's very small. Roughly the thickness of a penny or the thickness of a nickel. That's the size of the seed he's talking about. And yet from that small seed, typically mustard trees, they grow upwards of 10 to 12 feet high. And in fact, some eastern versions of this seed can grow over 20 feet From a minuscule thing that you put in the ground. Grows this abundant plant. And it says shooteth out great branches. So that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. The lesson is profound is it not? The sower here. The farmer here who plants the seed. It cannot estimate the size of the plant or the crop. By the size of the seed. (laughs) That would be foolish. I have to plant a lot of seeds because this thing is small. (laughs) 
He cannot estimate the size of what's going to happen. All seeds are relatively small when you put them into the ground. And some, when you put them in, the ground feels like if you've sown nothing. (laughs) Feels like you've planted nothing. And I love how Jesus says, that's what my kingdom is like. It feels as if you've sown nothing. It's the smallest of things. But out of that small, meager seed will come forth a glorious plant. Something in which all the fowls of the air may lodge and find shade. I love that. Imagine the disciples' faces. Imagine them thinking, we are the kingdom This small, meager band of disciples, of fishermen, of those who had really no really uh, future for them in society. And they were struggling here against the fact of their own obscurity. And Jesus is saying, you are the beginning of God's kingdom. Jehovah's kingdom. You are the beginning of it. Don't judge the coming kingdom by its relative smallness or insignificance. You see, it's not just faith the size of a mustard seed. It's faith in a mustard seed. That the the coming kingdom which would change the world would start small, unnoticed, almost invisible. In fact, that's really how God's coming came about in the first place. It's almost Christmas time. Which will make us read many of those early chapters of Luke's gospel. That's the beginning, the coming of God's kingdom. It came about with no fireworks, no thunderclap, no ceremony, no fanfare. The coming of God's kingdom was inaugurated not by any of that, not by anything that would usually accompany a king. What did it come about by? By the wailing cries of an infant baby in a lonesome, dirty cattle stall. An unknown, unnoticed Poor family. They gave birth to this son in a dirty feeding trough. And yet that son who was there, he was the founder of the kingdom of heaven. He was born to poor, lowly parents. Born among swirling rumors of infidelity and unfaithfulness. And he was born and he lived with nothing. And he ended up dying a death of, that should have been for criminals. And this is the coming of the kingdom. Unnoticed. Unexpected. This is Jesus' coming into our world. uh, uh, Coming to uh, remake and to redeem it. His coming was so obscure that only a few shepherds noticed it. (laughs) A few members of the low lives of society came to herald his birth. But in that small, unnoticed inception of God's kingdom, it gives all the more weight to what it would actually become. Think about what God is doing. And what started with the cries of a little infant baby is now he is saying it's going to change the world. It's going to turn the world upside down. That one day all of creation will have to bow at the name of this one. This one who came so unnoticed. And yet one day all will see him and have to be confronted with the fact that he is the king. In fact, let me read those verses from Philippians chapter 2. 
Because they are so good. From this mustard seed kingdom comes, and as it says in Philippians 2.9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, the seed, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The kingdom, the size that started at the size of a mustard seed, he says, will transform the entire world as we know it. And someday all will have to bow at the face of that seed. Because they will have to see that he is the king. You see, I think the lesson here for us is that regardless of what we see, God's kingdom is moving forward. Regardless of the the headlines that we read, the news that we're confronted with, with the stories that we see, regardless of all evidence to the contrary, God's mission of the gospel of his kingdom is always going forward. Why? Because just like he is sovereign over his growth, he is sovereign over all of its success. The advancement of God's kingdom cannot be thwarted or stopped by any human intervention. It happens apart from us. It happens despite man himself. And it's happening right now. God is moving. God is moving forward. The gospel is going forward. And such, I think, ought to be what stokes our faith. That the growth and the harvest is outside of the farmer's control. That the coming of the kingdom is outside of your need for worry or stress or fret and anxiety. But it's going to happen. So you are free to be faithful with what's in front of you. You are free to let God be the one who is responsible for the work. The parable of the growing seed and the mustard seed, they do not provide details of how the seeds grow. Just the fact that they will grow. It's going to happen. The seed springs and it grows up and it brings forth fruit. It says the farmer knoweth not how. In the mustard seed, it says the farmer plants it and then all of a sudden it grows greater than all the herbs, it says, that are in the earth. And it shooteth out great branches. Jesus would not have us to fret over the hows of his kingdom. The hows and the wherefores and all the the details of how it's going to come about. He would only have us see and believe that it is going to come. And put our faith in him. The one who is sovereign. The one who is the king of this kingdom. The kingdom that has already started to come. Just not in a way that you would ever expect. Because the greatest of all things can, as he says here, start from the very humblest of all beginnings. From the size of a mustard seed, we would have the transformation of our entire known world. From the death of a seed, Jesus would spring up his church. And that's why we can be faithful here and now. Not because we are fretting and faithful to our things, but because we are faithful to the one who has promised and has secured and assured us that it will come about. 
He has assured us of his victory that, yes, my kingdom will come, regardless of evidences to the contrary. My kingdom is coming. Are you part of that kingdom this morning? Are you being faithful to the work that is put before you? The evidence here before us, I think, this morning... The gospel here before us is the gospel that relieves us from the fretting of what we see around us. And it frees us to serve and love and be faithful with what we have called to do and be. Are you being faithful this morning to what God has called you to? Are you loving your neighbor as it says as you should yourself? The gospel of the growing and of the mustard seeds this morning, I think, free us to do that. Are you being faithful this morning? Let us pray.